This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, has not been posterized by Luka Doncic to the best of my knowledge yet, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We have a mailbag today. It feels like our first one in forever, even though we try to do them every Friday. Before we get started, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with all my heart and soul with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you consume your podcast, whether that's Art19, Spotify, Google Play, uh, all that fun stuff. But iTunes is the best way to let us know that you're out there, that you are listening. Please throw us a five-star rating write a review. We love reading them. If you have not subscribed, be sure to do that. If you have subscribed already, refer us to a friend, frenemy, family member, acquaintance, random person on the street. Steal someone's phone and subscribe them to us for them. They will not regret it. We promise. With that all said, though, we ask the question that everyone needs to know so that they can kick off their weekend whenever they're listening to this properly. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Excited as always to uh, jump into a mailbag. I played basketball last night, so uh, I had to walk very, very slowly into the office. But other than that, I'm doing fine. Do you go hard when you play pickup? Um, it, you, it probably depends on who you ask, and it probably depends on the night, too. I tried to dunk it last night, and it was – I got it in, but it was one of those ones where you have to, like, nudge it in. Uh, I was actually envisioning, I don't know if you saw Luka Doncic's dunk um, on the Nuggets last night. I think what he dunked on a Plumlee or something. I was just envisioning you doing that to uh, to somebody. So that's how that's how I'm going to remember you. I was going to say, you can continue to uh, imagine that if you, if you want. And I like how you said he dunked on a Plumlee. Oh, you know, he dunked past a Plumlee. I think he actually dunked, dunked on Mill. I gift it, so I don't know why I don't remember it, but I'm looking at it now. I think it was Paul Millsap, but he, he got around a Plumlee. You know, you never know which team these Plumleys are playing for. Exactly. There's no need for specificity when it comes to the <laughs> Are you ready for this mailbag? I am. And uh, like I told you before we started recording, this one's going to be kind of uh, shooting from the hip because neither one of us uh, perused these questions much before we started recording. Those are the so, best ones, though. I don't yeah, like thinking thinking through mailbags too much. Um, I'm going to start with Mark's question at Heineken 1900. Who in the West, excluding the Warriors, would win a best of seven series versus Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, or Boston? I think he's basically saying, um, 
are there any championship contenders in the West beyond the Warriors? If I had to, if we were just picking one, I think it would be the Thunder. I I feel like their defensive ceiling is really through the roof with the way Paul George has been playing this year. Uh, with some of just the the smarter moments we've gotten from Russell Westbrook, the team's been shooting better from three overall, uh, basically since the turn of the calendar, I believe. I just it's. It's weird to say I don't think the Warriors' biggest threat comes in the West, but when you're talking about who is that other title contender in the West, if you have to pick one, I almost feel like by not picking the Rockets or the Nuggets, I'm I'm insulting them, and those could be fine answers as well. Uh, Oklahoma City's a good call. I I think their ceiling is pretty high considering the talent at the top of the roster. I feel kind of the same way about the Rockets, though. I think maybe we're still a little bit uh, we're still a little bit um, influenced by the start they had to the season. They've been a lot closer to the team they were last year lately. And I think that Hart, like Harden's playoff issues, notwithstanding, he's still a guy I think can kind of carry a series uh, if he needs to. So I think Houston's maybe in the conversation too, but my general answer is probably the same as yours where I just, I just don't think there's a very, real threat to the Warriors in the West. I, I think the only real threats right now are the Bucks and the Raptors. Um, I still think Philadelphia has another level that we hasn't, haven't seen. I'm not sure we'll see it this year. Uh, but long story short, I guess the answer to Mark's question is um, if it was somebody other than the Warriors in the finals, I, I think the East is going to be the, the conference representing the champion. I also didn't realize that Oklahoma City shooting has regressed hard. over the last 10 games. And you made a good point about the Rockets. And I was thinking about this the other day while I was writing something. The defense is still an issue, but think about how hard, how thoroughly most of us killed them for letting Bamute and Trevor Ariza walk. It really ended up not being this like gut wrenching, like call. Because Trevor Reza is not making their defense a crap ton better. Bamute hasn't even basically played this season. And they're right now contending for that third spot in the West. They're probably not going to get to number two. They're three and a half games back of the Nuggets, including four games in the loss column. But the Rockets, it's not only that they've come on, it's that they've sort of just put to bed this notion that they royally screwed up over the offseason. Yeah, and I think back to their tough start to the season, I, I think there was some validity to the you you gave up Bamute and Ariza for nothing and it really killed you. But they like you said, they've certainly recovered from that. Um this is kind of an interesting from Kwani at Mr. Marshall two five four. What do you think Brett Brown's biggest hesitation with playing Ben Simmons at the five? It, it, I don't actually know what hesitation is. Maybe it's because it means that then you're putting TJ McConnell at point guard, and so you're you're kind of hurting your spacing in that regard a little bit. That would be my if they had another, or or maybe the player that you're putting at point guard, you really don't trust them to defend actual point guards, and then you come to this dilemma: well, if Ben Simmons is going to defend point guards, who's going to defend centers? Maybe you don't want Ben Simmons defending centers. I think there's a lot of different ways you could go, and you're also 
sort of let's talk playoffs specifically. You're you're in this dilemma where, okay, if you want to play Ben Simmons at center, there's not really a lot of a lot of minutes to allocate to that. If Joel Embiid, let, let, again, just saying in the playoffs, plays 34, 35 minutes per game, that's going to leave you know 13 to 14 minutes of potential center time. But then that's also time that you're not going to have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid playing together if you want to play him at center. Yeah, I like the idea of Ben Simmons at the five. I like the idea of Giannis Antetokounmpo at the five. Um, Zion Williamson at the five when he comes in next season. I just, small ball lineups are really fun and interesting to me. But like you said, there's a real practical issue there. You've got Joel Embiid, who's going to play 34, 35 minutes, like you said. And then they've got some, I, I think they have a little bit invested in Jonah Bolden as well. Um, they, they've got other guys that they kind of need to work some minutes to at the five. And, uh, Ben Simmons has obviously been fine, uh, at the one, I, I guess maybe you could theoretically pack more shooting around him if you played him at the five and that would, you know, that'd certainly be some interesting minutes. I, I, I would be for it if it was something that they just did in a couple minutes spurts here and there, but then I, you know, if it's just two minutes, in one quarter, two minutes in the next. I don't know how those groups really get a lot of rhythm together. So with the way that the team is currently constructed, it's just kind of hard to make it work for, for any prolonged amount of time. You know what would have made it work if they could have gotten the Clippers to include Patrick Beverly in the Tobias Harris trade? That would have been yeah, a lot easier. that would have been interesting. Um, the OT at the OT basketball, and I'm going to preface, preface this one by saying I don't, I don't think there's anything to the rumors. Um, but what team, if any, would make the most sense to pursue a LeBron trade if hypothetically made this summer? Um, and I'm going to ask you separately, did you did you see Rick Buecher's piece yesterday? I did. Um, so I think this, this uh, applies to OT's question, obviously. What did you make of some of the quotes in there? Like, Do you think the Lakers have seriously considered trading him this year? I don't doubt that it may have crossed Genie Bus's mind. Interesting. That's just something with everything that was happening. This doesn't whatever has happened this season, and I criticized her a little bit for she does seem partially out of touch by those comments about her biggest obstacle is the media, but I could see her being rankled the wrong way by everything that transpired with the Anthony Davis trades, um all the rumors about Luke Walton's job security and whether LeBron actually wanted to play for him. I don't know it got to the point where she actually voiced it or really actually considered it, but I could see her being sort of at least pushed towards it or or her crossing her mind thinking, is it really worth this? Um, So I don't, again, I don't doubt that aspect of it. The, the quotes in there were interesting. It's the one that obviously caught everyone's attention was I wouldn't give up more than a protected first round pick, whatever it said. That, to me, if that's your stance, is just ludicrous. LeBron James is still, this season, has missed time, uh, missed a bunch of time with his groin injury, has been, this This might be the worst defensive season of his career. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that. And he's still a top five player in the game and right there. And so you're, he's someone that if you give him, no, you can't put, as they said, four cadavers around him anymore. But it, the plan shouldn't be to put these four corpses around LeBron. That shouldn't be uh, the plan. And so I understand the baggage he comes with. There's no such thing as patience when he's there. 
I would trade for LeBron. I I mean, and if you're a team, that's actually I guess you, I don't want to – it doesn't even matter. Like if you get LeBron, you don't even have to be super close to a title to all of a sudden become a premier title contender should you get him. And so if they were actually going to entertain a LeBron trade, um, I would look at it, If especially given the cost. Houston has to look at it if they did salary filler and then that Jimmy Butler special with every pick known to man under wild. the sun. Uh, Denver, if they could work something out, they – might be tough for them to come up with the salary filler, um, but they do have Plumlee's contract, and that's just a good starting point. I think the harder question is, and I do want to know which team you think it would make sense to pursue a trade for LeBron. I think the harder thing would be, what is the actual asking price that you would want if you're the Lakers should you put LeBron on the chopping block? Those teams are interesting uh, to think about with him there. I, I think it would be hilarious if he got traded somewhere like Denver. Uh, he, I just can't imagine how uh, annoyed he would be with that. The other thing about trading for LeBron, um, I'm with you. I think he's probably still a top, not probably, he, he's still a top five player in the NBA. Um, statistically, he's he's top five to ten, I would say. Um, but I, I still think there's probably a, even though he said playoff LeBron was activated a few weeks ago, I do think there's a, another level that he can get to. However, I... I actually think the baggage aspect of it is a little bit bigger um, than it sounds like you do. He, I, it's hard to, it's, he's like a bomb that just shows up in your organization. Um, and everything is just chaotic and dysfunctional. It seems like the moment he gets there, the entire time he's there. And then when he leaves, your organization is just in shambles. Um Miami has been tied up in mediocrity ever since he left. Cleveland instantly went back to uh, a, just a tank fest as soon as he left. And I, you know, neither one of those organizations would trade the time that they had there for for more stability after he left. Um, but I, I just think there's a lot to consider, especially with the fact that he's now, for, I think, for the first time in his career, starting to look mortal. Which is crazy to say because he's averaging 27 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. Which I, I think for any other player in any other year, that kind of a stat line, there's just no way to pick it apart. Um, I guess I guess Russell Westbrook puts up numbers like that that get p- picked apart as well. But um, there's just so much extra stuff that comes with LeBron. And I don't know if I'm if I'm another organization, if I would want to give up the farm so to speak for that you get him for the life of this contract and then, and then that's it. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee you win a championship. If you give up most of your best young players and and future picks for LeBron, let's say you're Denver and you give up, um, you give up multiple picks, you give up Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. Um, I don't know who else the Lakers would be interested in. Maybe like Juan Hernan Gomez, you put enough, you put some salary filler in there. Um, that team is probably a title contender. Jokic and LeBron together is pretty ridiculous. But uh, I don't know. There, there's just a lot that goes beyond basketball when you are when you have LeBron on your team. See, the asking price would be the bigger obstacle for me. Uh, like if they – if yeah, so let's use the Nuggets as an example since that's just who we're on. If the Lakers come and say, you know, we want Gary Harris and Michael Porter Jr. and, and Murray and picks, like, no, you don't mortgage your future. It doesn't matter how – 
you went through this with the Anthony Davis trade, who's actually a superstar in his prime. You can't give up your entire team for one player. Those things just never work out. Yeah. And I get that LeBron has left organizations in shambles, but that tends to happen when you lose the greatest player of all time or one of the two greatest players of all time. And I think Miami's a good example of how the drama, you can be inoculated against the level of the drama. If you have a strong front office who is willing to not indulge the rumors or give LeBron carte blanche, and I've I've never subscribed to this idea that LeBron is just GMing behind the scenes, but I understand that that baggage actually means something. And so it's going to give the, the chatter more more credence unless you just come out and stomp it, stomp it out. The Lakers haven't done that. They failed on every level imaginable. They didn't show, aside from Jeannie Buss at the beginning of the season, didn't show support for Luke Walton. They handled the Anthony Davis trade negotiations uh, terribly. If you have a front office that's going to say, like the Heat did, no, you know what, like this is our coach, if, if, assuming that's even an issue. So I, I think that a competent front office, and this extends to Cleveland where, think about how many fires David Blatt put out. Um, uh, wow, excuse me, Griffin put out behind the scenes uh, before he left. Like we didn't know the extent, or at least it wasn't mainstream knowledge, the extent of Kyrie Irving's unhappiness until after uh, Griffin left. And so when you have that competent finger figure in place, having LeBron even now to me is is just absolutely worth it. I believe there's a way to have LeBron and actually run your organization um, a few steps removed from utter chaos. Last thing on this, do you think there's any chance if he got traded to some market that's just not desirable for big name stars that that would affect him at all? Because he he clearly went to Los Angeles for non-basketball reasons. Right. My my guess is is he has more he doesn't have no trade clause, but my guess is he has some leverage in talks so that he yeah. could really steer uh the Lakers away from a team that he uh most definitely couldn't end up with. Wherever he theoretically went, and he's not going to get traded. This whole exercise is really just pointless when you think about it. (laughs) I would think that he wants to avoid this whole LeBron, like prove that LeBron ruined the Lakers takes are are wrong. And I would think that at least that first year with his new team, wherever it may be, it could be be friggin' Phoenix. I don't know. He would play out of his mind. Like I don't think he wants to go out in the yeah. the Carmelo Anthony like fashion, or even the Dwayne Wade like fashion, where it's like this slow, gradual fade, or or that it's where. Uh, and Dwayne Wade hasn't really had this, but you know the Cavaliers sort of did give up on him uh, when they asked him, "Do you want to go back to the Heat?" Because clearly you suck here. Basically, is how that went down. So I, I would think that that first year with his new team, wherever it is, um, that he would be phenomenal. But I think long term, yeah, it could absolutely affect. Uh, what he does the other aspect of this though is so this season's already done and you'd be acquiring him over the summer there's next season the season after that and then he has a player option you can't guarantee that you're getting more than two years of lebron yeah. in any deal that I, I i briefly mentioned that at some point i if he went somewhere like denver uh you you got to convince yourself that we can win a title within the next two years because he's not he's not coming back at that point um, care about basketball fit he would yeah exactly this is this one's especially from you from ad at daily double let's assume the knicks get katie and Kyrie, which is obviously what i've been doing for the last several months on this show um <laughs> where do they land in the playoff picture that's so hard to say without knowing who's around them because essentially if they get KD and Kyrie and make no other moves 
at that point, their supporting cast is going to include. I'm going to assume that they would get rid of Frank Nielakina in the situation to ensure that they have enough room to sign both. So you have Alonzo Trier, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., Mitchell Robinson, and maybe Damian Dotson. Like that's the extent of, and then your pick, obviously. I don't. Is that pick Zion? Is it Cam Reddish? Is it is it John Morant? What other trades have you made? Without knowing that, I don't know where I could pinpoint them. I would say KD and Kyrie alone, though, would make the Knicks a, a top four team in the East. I don't think they would be guaranteed more than that top four spot, though, because there's a chance even if Boston loses Kyrie, that they're still right there. Um, Toronto could fall out clearly if if Kawhi leaves, but if he comes back, they'll be right there. And then neither the Bucks or the Sixers are going anywhere. The Pacers shouldn't be going anywhere either, unless they lose a ton of talent in free agency. So if they swung a trade or they sign all these other veteran free agents at, at discounts and they have these impact players, then yes, that's a team that's enough to get you to, you know, contend for the top one or two seeds. But if you haven't fleshed out the supporting cast around them, I would think that top four is the safer bet. Yeah. I think I would probably land around top four as well. I, I think Milwaukee is going to be the powerhouse in the East for the next few years. So I don't, I think even if they get KD and Kyrie and some solid role players around them, I I, I think I would probably still, um, I would probably still think Milwaukee's the best team in the East. I think Giannis is better than KD at this point. Um, Kyrie is better than Eric Bledsoe, but I don't. People are going to make this sounds crazy. I don't think the gap is as huge between those two players um, as some other people think. And then Milwaukee's got a lot of depth. After those two guys, I don't know if they're going to be able to get Brooke Lopez back. I, I, you know, obviously depends on how much he costs. He's on a real bargain contract this season, but their their starting five is loaded. Um, they've beefed up the bench a little bit here in the last couple of weeks, and they'll obviously look a little bit different over the next couple of years. Um, but as long as you've got Giannis and a couple of those other guys, I think they're going to be really, really good. All right, everyone, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. Um, all right, let's see if I can find another one. What do you think... Uh, San Antonio's starting lineup should be next year, given the emergence of Derek White. This is from Stuart Love at slove003232. Um, maybe just a jumping off point on on Derek White with this question. 
Yeah, I mean, Derek, Derek White has been phenomenal, and he's – we talked about at the beginning of the year, uh, Javante Murray is that swing piece for the Spurs. Now they have two of them in Derek White. I don't know if you look at him really as a future star, but the things that he's been able to do on defense for them, another guy who can create his own shot, can run some half-court sets. Uh, it's I, I'm, I don't – I guess I don't actually know, so that would be a question – uh, that would be my question. What do you think like the ceiling is on him? And then th- their starting lineup, I guess it's it it's kind of just as simple as just putting Murray in for Bryn Forbes. And then you have uh, Derek White, Murray, uh, Jakob Pertl, DeRozan, and Aldridge. That's your variation. I mean, if you want to go smaller and just have Aldridge at the five, that opens up other options. And maybe you play Rudy Gay. But their, their starting lineup, uh, structure to me might actually depend more on what wings they're going to have on the roster next season. And, you know, we're going to assume that they'll have Rudy Gay, but who else is, is really going to be, they don't just have anyone like Rudy Gay and they do play him a lot at the four, which is fine. But like, he's, he's like their one uh, wing, like true wing on the roster. And, and he's even injured and he, right now, but the, he's almost more of a power forward too. Yeah, and so who is the wing? It's not DeRozan, even though he plays the three. Uh, Berton certainly isn't a wing. He's good. He's more of a four or five. It's who's the is Lonnie Walker the closest this team has to a wing now? Because you're not gonna Derek White doesn't really have the size to be considered that. So that might actually shape their starting lineup more than Murray's return would. But for now, that would be my guess: is you just roll with the the structure you have now, and you put Murray in for Forbes and if you if Gay is healthy and, and you bring Gay back and you want to play him and at the four instead of playing two bigs, then that's something you look into. What I think is as long as you've got DeMar DeRozan and Lamarcus Aldridge, you need as much three point shooting as you can get around them. Um and DeJounte Murray when he when he was healthy was obviously incredible defensively. His shooting was a huge problem. Um I, I don't think Greg Popovich will ever steer into this because he seems uh, almost hell bent on like resisting the three point revolution. Um, but a starting five of Bryn Forbes, Derek White, DeMar DeRozan, Davis Bertans, and Lamarcus Aldridge, I think that I think that sort of neutralizes the effect of all the mid range jumpers that DeRozan and Aldridge take. And maybe maybe the number of mid range jumpers those guys take isn't as big a problem. Uh, as I make it out to be, because they're better offensively this season than I would have expected. But generally speaking, uh, I want as much three-point shooting in a lineup as I can get, especially if you have one or two players that you have to play that don't really provide that. So what was your lineup, suggested lineup for them? Uh, I'd probably still go Forbes. um, And then Derek White, DeMar DeRozan, Davis Bertans, and LaMarcus Aldridge. So you're not starting Murray? I know how crazy that is, but I, for someone who's watched the Jazz so much the last two years, it's it's just hard to be really, really good when you have three non-shooters in the lineup at the same time. Um, and I don't think that necessarily has to be the case with San Antonio. Like, LaMarcus Aldridge can shoot threes. I don't know why they haven't stretched that out with him. Um, I thought DeMar DeRozan was starting to figure it out, but... <laughs> Going to San Antonio has nuked his three-point shooting. Um, he started off last season real hot, but he, he even finished below average last season. I didn't realize that. He shot 31% last season. This season, he's shooting 16.7% uh, 
from three. So that's just completely off the table with him. I, I, I just default to, I want as much shooting and passing as I can possibly get in a lineup. That, I mean, that's fair over under, I'm going to say 65, three point attempts combined between DeRozan and Aldridge. You're taking the over or the under for this, this year. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go under cause it, it just lends itself to the question. I actually just purposely did that to trick you. It's Dang over. It. It's, <laughs> it's it's seventy three. Um, I'm I'm sort of with you there, but you to me you I don't know how you don't start Murray. Like I just was I get that that's a problem. So maybe it's you know we need to let Aldridge shoot threes or tell him to shoot threes or maybe DeRozan actually needs to take threes again, even if he's only going to shoot thirty one percent on them like he did in Toronto that year. Uh, he's he's been a far less robust 16.7% this season. The last quick note I'll say on this though, is Derek white, his last 20 games, he's averaging 13.5 points, 4.9 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.2 blocks. Yeah. And shooting 51.4% overall and 37% from three. He, he does not someone that I think you can ever really count on getting to the line, but he is, if you, if you had long-term, if you had to take Derek white, or Dejounte Murray, who are you taking? Um, I think I might go White just because I can I can trust his shooting more. Yeah, and you have the injury history now to factor in, but Murray's already been an All NBA defender, which is just something to yeah. to really consider. I mean, if he if you can ever count on Murray's floater, or he does turn into a league average shooter from three, that's that's a game changer. Yeah. Obviously, you could say that with so many people. If Ben Simmons shooted threes shot threes imagine yeah hey did you see lamarcus aldridge's quote about the blazers by the way yeah that he's just basically going to retire with them <laughs> how many years does he have left in san antonio i think it's so funny that um he has two years left on his deal the last one of which is only partially guaranteed but it's like are things that like dull or exhausting in san antonio that you're already thinking about retiring with another team yeah and he'll be like 35 when this contract's over um maybe he's just one of those guys that doesn't want to play basketball late into his 30s and maybe his early 40s yeah uh kevin at colorado and i think those first two o's are zeros how far do the nuggets need to make it in the playoffs to consider this season a success i think this season is already a, a success um they are they they've been neck and neck with the Warriors for first in the West all season long. Nikola Jokic is in MVP debates. Um, they're doing this despite the fact that Gary Harris was hurt for a lot of the year and he has never really found his shot this season. Uh, for a team that was a near miss on the playoffs uh, for each of the last two seasons to to be this good, I, I feel like this is a success, especially when the vast majority of their core is still like 24 and under players. I, I don't think you need to get to the Western conference finals or the finals um, to feel like you accomplished something this season with how young this team is. I feel like they've already kind of made their mark and said that we're, we're going to be here for a little bit. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I do think even in the West, that like getting bounced in the first round after the regular season that they've had would be a terrible look. It's, I know, you're looking at playing probably the Jazz, Spurs, or the Clippers, and I understand that those are all tough matchups, but if you want to be taken seriously as the contender, those are the teams you're going to have to beat anyway, and to not get out of the first round this year, 
would I think, even amid all the injuries, be a demonstrative disappointment? I think the year overall, yes, everything you said holds water. But it's without that series victory, um, especially if it isn't close or something like that, that's as close as Denver comes to a disaster scenario. And uh, that's certainly not out of the question either. I, I would probably pick the Nuggets to win the, the first round series, whoever they're matched up against. But we, we've talked about this many, many times over the years. It's it's just um, it's a bloodbath in the Western Conference. I don't, other than the Warriors and whoever they play, the first round is going to be wide open. Uh, Who would be the worst team for them to lose of those three in the first round too? Probably the Clippers, right? Just because they'll be yeah. like, "Oh, if Jokic is really a star, how do you not beat a team that doesn't yeah. really have another star?" And and a team that seemed like it was cashing in uh, or cashing out on the season at the trade deadline. So that would that would not be great. Um, I I still think the Spurs are one of the weaker teams in the playoffs, but I don't think that anybody would be like, oh, "How could you lose to the Spurs?" I mean, they obviously have <laughs> they obviously have a lot of history in the playoffs including you know Greg Popovich so I don't think that would be that shocking you're you're right I think it's probably the Clippers um this kind of goes along with that Rob at I am real Rob this isn't even a question so well done Rob (laughs) (laughs) you need to mention why Jokic isn't in MVP conversations every time for the pod and why PG is um who, I guess I guess I'll ask it this way: Who who do you think has a better MVP case? Because for a long time it was um, Paul George is the legitimate third MVP candidate after Giannis and Harden, and I I thought that was totally fine. Um, but are we underselling Jokic's candidacy at all? Yeah, I think we are. I mean, look, we've just you really just talked about it before. Is look at all the injuries that the Nuggets have dealt with. And look at where they are in the West and look at how important Nikola Jokic is to everything they do on the offensive end. We've, we're at a point where I would say a majority of NBA analysts would be reticent to run their offense through a big, like legitimately run it through. We've, look, how long does it take in Minnesota to establish Carl Anthony Towns as their number one option? And Denver has really just leaned into it. And all that Jokic can do as... I mean, you when he wants to score, my God, is he scary. If he wants to take advantage of a mismatch in the post or he hits some of these tough off-balance off shots, um, he's a pretty good shooter. But just what he's able to do with his passing and how that changes the dynamics of how defenses have to defend Denver um, in the half court, it's just it's mind-melting. And if we want to go the anecdotal route, Denver is the second best team in the Western Conference. They've kept pace with the Warriors. You could easily make a case for him to me as that top three candidate. It's just when you have Paul George, um, people are, are one, more attracted to scoring. The two-way play is a big deal. Jokic has been by and large better defensively this year than any other season in his career, but PG might be the favorite for defensive player of the year. And there's a certain level of cachet that comes with usurping Russell Westbrook a little bit in Oklahoma City's pecking order of importance. So I I would understand both arguments, but when the value that is ascribed to winning typically in the MVP conversation, I don't think there's a question that Jokic has been underrated in that regard, that based off 
including that and then just those other anecdotal arguments about what teams have to deal with injuries that he absolutely then should be the third name that is mentioned behind Giannis and Harden. So if you look at basketball references, uh, MVP probability, Giannis Antetokounmpo is first, 52.6%. James Harden is second, 19.3%. No surprises in that top two. Nikola Jokic is third at 6.4%. Um, and then it's kind of surprising where Paul George ends up. Four is Kawhi Leonard, which is also a little surprising to me, given how much time he's missed. Um, five is Kevin Durant. Six is Joel Embiid. Seven is Paul George. I, I would have thought he'd be higher than that. Stephen Curry, eight. Anthony Davis, nine. Um, Russell Westbrook, ten. So at least whatever statistics basketball reference throws into this model, they, they think Jokic is number three on this leaderboard. And his, his per-game numbers, they're impressive. Uh, 20.2 points, 10.8 rebounds, and 7.6 assists. But I don't, I don't think enough people add in the fact that he's only playing 31.4 minutes. Um, averaging 20, 11, and 8 in just over 30 minutes. If you do it uh, pace in minutes adjusted, so per 75 team possessions, this is what he's averaging. 23.6 points, 12.6 rebounds, 8.9 assists. Um, the numbers are just absurd. His true shooting percentage is almost 60. He is, he's just been unreal this season. And it's fun um, for a guy who's been pounding the Jokic drum for three years now to finally see the rest of the basketball world kind of catching up to him. Um I think it's probably kind of neck and neck between them for the third place spot. Uh, but the further we get into this season, um, the longer Jokic has Denver in the position they're in. And, and, and Paul George has actually slid a little bit here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I think the better his chances are of finishing ahead of him. He's, if you go by the per 75 team possessions, Jokic is third in the league in assists. Yeah, that's crazy. Behind only Lowry and Westbrook tied with Trey Young wow. right now. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, that's just, he's, and we probably are guilty of not having talked about him enough then in that third place regard. But I do think that stretch and just in its entirety, Paul George's season has been absolutely incredible. I don't think that there's anything wrong with really calling him the, the, the number three in this conversation. It, the, to me, just the the offensive burden that he shoulders on a nightly basis, coupled with what he does defensively, that's a hell of a workload. And so that's something that yeah. does stand out to me. That's- and then, of course, there's the net rating swings, which he – I think he, he dropped off the leaderboard. Top. No, he hasn't. He's only – he's second um, behind Quincy AC. So, I mean, if you filter it out for people that actually play, yeah. um, he's he's first in the league. The, the – this is filters out garbage time at Oklahoma city is it's net rating improves by 18.1 points per 100 possessions with him yeah. on the floor. And that's, that's huge. Um, sticking. Uh, so I'm not sticking with it, but I, I did, I was a little surprised that Anthony Davis is at number nine. I guess I shouldn't be. His numbers are still crazy. Um, but we have a question from Alan Raymond at underscore Alan underscore Raymond underscore. Does the brow make all NBA? He shouldn't. So I think this is interesting. Um, expound. Well, okay, so the All-NBA teams, 
they're still Anthony Davis has to be treated as a center. And so what are the centers that you you're going to look at him playing on a minutes restriction <laughs> with some of the games that he's missed overall and I know the numbers are right there, but who are you leaving off if it's Embiid, Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns? Which one of those are you bouncing from the from the all NBA discussion then for for Anthony Davis? Me personally, I I probably wouldn't put him on an all NBA team either. I don't nobody knows what the exact criteria for this stuff is. Um but I think torpedo torpedoing your franchise midseason has got to be part of the equation. Um <laughs> but this is why it's interesting to me, even with him being on the minutes restriction for as long as he's been and sitting out games and yada, yada, yada. Um, if With my average player rankings that I do, if you sort everybody by the average of their ranks in 10 catch-all metrics, he's still third overall behind only Giannis and James Harden. And he may fall a little bit more uh, before the season ends. Jokic is right on his heels um, for that third spot. But statistically... <laughs> Even with him playing like tw- what it's just twenty minutes a game ever since the trade demand, um, he still has a statistical case to be the first team All NBA center. And if you have the stats to be first team, it's kind of interesting to leave the guy off all three teams. Even though, like I said, I would probably do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean the torpedoing the franchise certainly factors into it, but he. He's missed 17 games on top of the minute res- minutes restriction, so that's more than yeah. Joel Embiid has missed. And you have what Jokic and Towns done all season. You also have Rudy Gobert. We know he won't enter the conversation because everything he does is undervalued. I don't know how you justify putting him. I, I, again, the statistical case is fine, but it sort of comes down. I just don't know how you. I, I I don't know how you justify after everything that's happened putting him as essentially just the one of the three best centers in the NBA because I think everything that happens has to factor into that equation. Here's a here's how centers rank in that system. Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic. Can you guess who's third? Rudy Gobert. Nikola Vucevic. Oh my god, I didn't even think of him. I thought you were actually gonna tell me Nurkic for a second. I totally forgot about Vuce. Um then there's Gobert, then Towns, then we get to Joel Embiid. Then Nurkic. Um, Embiid's 14th overall. Nurkic is 15th overall. Um, but for for all the talk of center being dead a few years ago, um, there's there has certainly been a resurgence at that position in the last few years. It's kind of loaded now. Um, I, I think the odds on favorites to make those three all-NBA teams are Jokic, Towns, and Embiid, as you laid out at the start of this discussion. But there are there are real arguments for uh, multiple guys after those three: Gobert, Vucevic, Nurkic. I think I think all those guys um, have at least an argument to be on one of those three teams. Happy March Madness tidings, Hardwood Knox listeners! The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? Can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone. 
even you, multiple bracket guy. My bookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours fast. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with my bookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, no spaces. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Um, I had another one queued up. Oh, let's talk some draft. <laughs> Jack at Jack underscore son of wolf. Uh, he just asks first overall pick question mark. Um, I think it's pretty obviously Zion. Camera. Uh, <laughs> did you catch any of Zion Williamson last night? No, I did not. I saw some of the highlights and it looks like his ankle is going to be fine. Yeah. Did you see his stat line? No. 13 for 13 from the field, 29 points, 14 rebounds, five steals, uh, two assists, and one block in 36 minutes. Um, That was quite the statement game uh, coming back from that injury. I think, I I don't think anybody had him falling off. His perch is the number one pick. and he he didn't need to solidify it, but he certainly did. I, I he's he is as obvious a first pick as I think we've had in quite some time. Maybe maybe since Anthony Davis. I can't wait to see, and I'm hoping that his whatever team drafts him. I guess this might be overstating that, but I want to. I can't wait to see a team really use him as a role man too. Yeah. Could you imagine getting screened just like a dozen to two dozen times per game by Zion Williamson? <laughs> It would not be fun. And he's it's like running into a marble statue. <laughs> um, he's a guy I think could run both ends of a pick and roll, which is very interesting to me. And like I said in that, it was a question a while back. I, I think he could play a decent amount of small ball five. So like you said, doing a lot of pick and roll, rolling to the rim. Um, a lot of people have questions about his shooting still, and I think that's fair. But I think the template – um, that Giannis and, and Ben Simmons have sort of put out there can work for him. Um, where he's on the ball and he's commanding gravity just by virtue of the fact that he has the ball, I, I think he'll be fine without shooting. I mean, obviously it would be better if he could shoot league average from three, but I don't think it's going to kill him if he doesn't figure it out in the first few years. He's also shooting 48.6% on two-point jumpers which the average range matters, but that is noticeably better than both of RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. So that, that brings me to another question I was going to ask you. Are, are you still as in on Cam Reddish as you were to start the season? Yep. I'm not even the slightest bit worried by the nights where he disappeared or his, uh, his efficiency issues, particularly inside the arc. He just, from what, and, and look, if you want like the best draft analysis, um, obviously come here first to get what's wrong, but then go somewhere else because I don't start diving head first into draft stuff until uh, about lottery time, basically. But I, when I, from what I, when I've watched him, it just feels like he's going to be a really good NBA player and that the role that he has in Duke right now, um, while perhaps not conducive to great stat lines or consistent, in, consistent involvement or usage, it's going to translate to the NBA and I think he's going to end up being just really, really good. And so 
when he has more time to practice and focus on improving his jump shot, he's already taking almost two thirds of his looks from three. I would kind of expect that 33.2% clip from beyond the arc to come up as a rookie. And again, I get the sub 50 true uh, sub 50 true shooting percentage is a concern, but I, I'm, I'm not out on him just yet. And I think he's going to end up being a really good defender as well at the next level. I wouldn't say I'm out on him. Um, he's probably still a top five pick. I'm, I, I'm probably out on him being top three, though. Uh, and that's nitpicky to make a difference between three and five, but that's where I'm at. Who would you rather have, him or Barrett? <sighs> um, probably Barrett, just because I think he can do a little bit more with the ball. We've seen some games where he got a bunch of assists and he was you know, breaking down the defense on his own. Uh, I'm not saying Cam Reddish can't do that, but I, I think uh, Barrett has shown a little bit more of an ability to be that Swiss Army knife type of a player. Um, I just lost the last one I was going to do. There it is. Caleb Cox at Jedi Guy Caleb. What do you think Donovan Mitchell's ceiling is? I... I, that's such an ambiguous question, even though I, I posed it about Derek White before. Is I'm going to throw it back on you by asking, is Donovan Mitchell an all-NBA caliber guard? Uh, Could you ever see a season where he is one of the six best guards in the NBA? I, I, I could see that for sure. Um, here are his numbers since January 1st. And it came out a little bit into the season that he was actually nursing an injury. Uh, I think it was his toe for most of that early part where he was kind of struggling. So he's taking that Stephen Curry cowardly <laughs> all injured route. Exactly. Um, but since January 1st, he's averaging 27.2 points, five assists, 4.6 rebounds, uh, 1.1 steals, 2.7 threes, shooting 44% from the field and 39% from three. Um I, I I definitely think he could be an All NBA guard if he puts up numbers like that for an entire season, twenty seven five and five, and and Utah is a top three to four team, which I still think they can be in in future years, as long as they've got Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell there. I, they got to get a couple more role players, um, and maybe even somebody that's a little bit above a role player. As you often point out, I think one of their biggest things they're missing is somebody who can kind of share the the playmaking and and shot creation load with Donovan Mitchell. Anyway, if they can if they can sort of hit their ceiling as a team and he puts up numbers like that, that's he's an all NBA guy. His ceiling to me is um it sounds it sounds very very high, but some kind of a Damian Lillard uh Dwayne Wade sort of hybrid. Um <laughs> and that that's absolute ceiling, of course. You just want to throw Stephen Curry in there too for well, I did. Sure. I did compare him to Stephen Curry yesterday. I, I saw that thread <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> but anyway, he has a very, very high ceiling. Um, not a lot of players hit their absolute ceiling, but that's that's where I would put it for him. His defense offsets a lot of my primary concern for him, and, and that is can he ever be or will you ever want him to be your lead playmaker? And it's, you know, you're talking the numbers he's put up since January 1st or even um, I've always filtered it out since Christmas and they're just equally ridiculous. It's obviously a similar stretch. Can he be that six, seven assists, eight assists per game guy? Can he be, is there ever a point where the Jazz are going to say, let's cut out the middleman and just make him our point guard? And I do think 
that doesn't necessarily have to harsh his ceiling, but I do think that's an important part of it. If you want to, if you want him to be that top 10 player in the NBA, um, can he ever be that primary playmaker for a contender? And that's something that I would think, I think clearly as a primary scorer, shot creator, um, as that secondary like guard um, who I think it's clear, like that's just, he's all those things. I'm, I'm just curious to see if he can ever be, um, if we can get to a point where maybe the Jazz will hold him back in this regard, maybe they won't ever cut out the quote-unquote middleman, but is he ever going to be that type of guard? And, and that'll go, if he is, then I think that's going to make his ceiling exponentially higher. If I had a ballpark it right now in the NBA, I think he's going to end up being at some point probably pretty, not pretty consistently, but very consistently, the, that top 15 guy. And whether or not he makes it to that Dwayne Wade, Damian Lillard, top 10 player hybrid or better. I do think that rests a little bit on whether he's going to turn into that uh, lead playmaker, lead assist man, table setter, whatever you want to call it. All right. Here's our last one. Um, this is from Abhay Tiwari. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Abhay Tiwari cool is his handle. Do you think warriors defense is an issue for them this season? Is it bad? Um, and I think it's just sort of a general, I, I'm going to add my own, editorial spin to this um do we think the warriors are vulnerable this season it's just it's so tough for me to feign concern about golden state <laughs> like, yeah. just when they care this isn't look there are legitimate concerns about what's going on with the marcus cousins on the floor um he has not looked great on defense the offense has not been spectacular with him on the floor either but What's going to happen when just the like the team cares? Andre Godala is going to reach another level in the playoffs. Uh, Draymond Green is going to be even better defensively. And this is, you know what, to me, the Warriors still have their cheat code. This season, they're allowing 105.4 points per 100 possessions when Draymond Green plays center. He's been at the five for almost 1,200 possessions this year. That's not an insubstantial sample size. And so if that's something that you can still lean on, I is the Warriors defense as vulnerable as it's ever been um, since they started this run? If you want to say yes, fine. It just ultimately doesn't matter to me just yet. I need to see someone beat them four times in seven tries to really buy into this notion that they're actually vulnerable or that they're appreciably worse than they've ever been. And I know the Rockets came close to beating them last year. But one, let's look at what happened in game six and seven. I know Chris Paul was injured, but Golden State, I think, trailed by double figures in both games, if I'm not mistaken, and they just won anyway. But when this team turns it on, like that's that switch exists. And also that Rockets team from last year, as good as Houston has been right now, doesn't exist. And so maybe they meet a maker like the Bucs or the Raptors in the NBA Finals, but I don't think they're going to face nearly as much resistance um, as they did last season in the Western Conference. And, and again, I, I firmly believe that this isn't the Cavaliers team with LeBron where we all imagined that there was a switch because of what happened. Um, but I, I, they actually have that switch. And I firmly believe that they'll turn it on in the playoffs and that this will all look with well, this conversation. I don't want to say it'll look rather foolish, but I, I feel like we do get, we fall into this trap every year where we try and feign concern for the Warriors only to be uh, proven wrong in the postseason. My answer to this will be really quick. Uh, <laughs> I basically agree with everything you're saying. And I think I basically said this in uh, maybe it was the last episode that we did. Um, the Warriors are still the clear favorite to win the NBA title. I, I don't 
I don't sense a ton of uh, impending doom for them. However, I would not be stunned if the Milwaukee Bucks beat them in the finals. I, I think they've reached a level where they're going to be able to at least give them a series. I don't know if that means six games, seven games, whatever. Uh, I, I just don't think it's a complete non-question anymore. Um, but again, <laughs> clear favorite is the Golden State Warriors. And it's that really quickly is does that say does those feelings from you does that say more about Golden State's vulnerability or just about the rise of the Bucks? Um, like, is your opinion on Milwaukee going to change if we're talking about last season's Golden State Warriors? I, think I guess they weren't world beaters on defense I say, either. I think it's saying, a little bit of both because um, I I I, <laughs> I do think that maybe this this. Uh, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. The last four or five years, maybe things are getting a little bit stale for them personally. Uh, I, I, it's a crazy thing for me to say that because I don't know any of those guys personally. Um, but it just doesn't seem like they're having as much fun as they did when this whole thing started. Uh, there's the, the questions with um, DeMarcus Cousins, I think, are, are very real. And I would not be surprised if he's not even really playing. Uh, by the time they get to the finals, he may still be starting, but I could see him playing like 10 or 15 minutes a game. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there there is something to them being vulnerable. But, yeah, it has a lot to do with how good Milwaukee is, too. Fair enough. And with that, we wrap up another episode of the Hardwood Knox mailbag. As Dan said at the top of the show, we would sincerely appreciate ratings uh, reviews, subscriptions. Um, you can get us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find and and listen to podcasts, we should be there. Um, we, until next time, uh, I flubbed that one again. We leave you with the shout out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.